0: Hey, what's going on? This is The Doug Show, and my name is Doug Cunnington. In this episode, I'm going to talk about the Atlanta meetup, just a little recap, and I recorded the q and I actually recorded a little bit of a talk that I did, which was kind of off the top of my head. I prepared a little bit, and then I answered some live questions. The cool part is the audio actually worked out pretty well, and I'll into the details when I talk about the full recap here thanks to everyone who wished uh, Georgie was feeling better and and just well wishes in general she's doing much better now and if you tuned in for the last few episodes you know that Georgie got uh, giardia so she was feeling pretty bad for like three or four days um, before she sort of turned the corner but she's doing great now and thanks for (laughs) thanks to everyone for saying something and shooting the emails and all the nice, kind words. So the Atlanta meetup went really well. For the people that don't know, I'm from the Atlanta area, and I sort of took a like a spontaneous trip back to Atlanta, and I took most of December off. I wasn't planning on doing that, but that is one of the huge, huge Awesome things about working for yourself. You can just kind of make decisions on the fly, especially if you don't overcommit. One of the things that I have done in the past is you just think you can do more than you actually can. And as I'm learning more about myself and how I work and how I prefer to work, I do pretty well with like some open space, some room to think. Room in your schedule to actually take time off. And a couple years ago, I think it was maybe two to three years ago, I decided, Hey, I'm going to launch a course, um, in December. So I like did a ton of work in December. I ended up working more than I normally would have. And it was kind of, uh, yeah, you know what? It kind of sucked to be honest with you. I wasn't, I wasn't thinking ahead and I was like, Hey, I don't, I don't set like new year's resolutions as this is January when I'm, when I'm recording this. And, um, you know, I, I don't really set any net resolutions. Um, I just start things like all throughout the year. I kind of run on my own <laughs> schedule, I guess. But anyway, I leave some room in my schedule. And in this case, um, it was important for me to get back to visit family and friends in Georgia. So I did that. I drove. I brought Georgie along with me, and because I was in the Atlanta area, I was like, "Hey, I'll do this meetup." I know there's quite a few people that you know mention Georgia. I know that uh, Marty McLeod and Evan Porter both have been on the show um, multiple times. I knew that they were in the Atlanta area, and I could probably count on them to show up. Anyway, I put out the word um, over the course of a couple weeks, and we ended up with I think like ten or eleven people they were able to show up live, which is cool because I've done one other meetup and it was when I was visiting the Denver area back in 2018. And I think like nine or 10 people said they were going to show up, but only like three or four actually showed up. So that was kind of what I was expecting. I think I had about 12 people say that they were going to come to Atlanta. And um, I think only one person didn't show up which was kind of amazing to me. So um, I, I don't know what the difference was at all. Maybe it was the time of year or the way that I pitched it, or I'm not really sure, but people, you know, made, made the trip. I held it at a uh, on-the-border restaurant, sort of in a rundown like, strip mall area. And if you're familiar with the area, it was, like, right off of um, 85 off Pleasant Hill Road, and it's, it's an area that I know well, just in general, I used to go to Gwinnett ball and I don't watch the show stranger things, but I'm told that one of the recent seasons, I'm sure people are like, you don't watch that show. That's crazy, man. You got to watch that show. I, I don't watch the show. <laughs> I got a long list of shows to catch up on. It's not even on the list. Um, but I've, I heard that they actually shot a lot of like one of the recent seasons at that mall, which used to be the mall that I like would go to as a kid. I worked at the uh, structure clothing, the men's clothing store um, for like a one holiday season back in college. But anyway, it was sort of in that area. And I'll be honest with you. I I was totally nervous. I was nervous for like a day leading up to it. I was trying to arrange things. I called the restaurant to make sure I could like kind of have a space and I haven't been there Uh, In many, many years, I'm trying to think, I may have gone to that restaurant like one time, like 18 years ago, so I I didn't really know the layout, but I chatted with one of the uh, managers on a couple days beforehand, and I was able to make sure that they, number one, weren't going to be too busy. It's not like a sports bar or anything like that. It was just like a random, you know, Tex-Mex restaurant that shouldn't be too busy, in the middle of the afternoon, on a Sunday afternoon. So the downside is they didn't have as great of a, like, beer selection as I would have preferred. I know a lot of people were like, oh, Doug, I'm surprised you're not having it out, like, some cool hip brewery, blah, blah, blah. But I knew people were coming from all around the city, and I didn't want to, like, force someone to drive, like, two and a half hours (laughs) to, like, some random brewery that they may not even be into beer or whatever. So anyway, I tried to pick something like sort of close to a highway. So Interstate 85, not not like a central highway, but like you can get to it pretty easy. Anyway, I was thinking about logistics and just how much I'm stressed out thinking about driving across the city and I I sympathize, right? So I was like, all right, I'm going to make it a little easier. Turns out it was a little loud in there as far as like the music levels, Um, but there weren't too many people in there. Again, it wasn't like a sports bar where like a Sunday afternoon would be packed. It was just pretty chill, pretty quiet. We had a, a whole section there, like probably, I think we had the ability to use like 12 different booths over there. We only needed like four with the amount of people that we had. So anyway, like I said, I was a little nervous and I was like, all right, I want everyone to have a good time. So I got like a uh, little name tags um, for everyone. So people wouldn't be stressed out about not knowing someone. And hopefully that would encourage like some conversation and chatting. I think people probably like have seen each other in live streams, chatting and stuff like that. So that was pretty cool. And then I also got like a small little notebooks and gave out to everyone. So I thought that was nice. I went to a conference once and they gave out those little notebooks. So I thought I'll do the same thing. It's easy enough. So even if it's a disaster, at least they got these little notebooks. So we had some beers, we had some food and I talked a little bit. And then in this, you know, later part of the episode that you're listening to right now, I'll play you the talk. And, uh, just logistically, I was like, all right, I'm going to bring my camera for sort of vlogging purposes And I'm also going to bring my Zoom H4n recorder because I know that even though I have like a nice microphone on my DSLR, the audio is not going to be great. It's just going to pick up too much background noise. So I had a microphone. I was speaking directly into the microphone and then I sent all the files over to my video editor and she crushed it. She was able to sync everything up. So the audio is great. I don't even think you can hear like the music that was playing and it was honestly, it was fairly loud. So I'm glad I brought the recorder. The other thing is I wanted the live experience to be great. So I didn't sweat it too much with the video. I didn't worry too much about the audio. I was like, I'm just going with the default easy settings. And if it works great, if not, I'm not going to beat myself up. I want the people here to have a good time. And if I can repurpose the content play it for the podcast, for example, then that'll be great. But if not, it's not the worst thing in the world. So we're going to play that in a second here. And then we also had a voicemail sent in by Amin, who's a you know friend of the show. He sent in a couple voicemails at this point. He's on many live streams. I'm not sure uh, how much he's making these days, but he's doing really well. I also can't remember where he's from. I think he may mention it. In his voicemail, but I appreciate all the folks that are sending in voicemails these days. Very cool, great way to break up the content and help me with uh, content ideas. So much appreciated. And if you want to leave a voicemail at this point, I'm still putting on 100% of the voicemails that are sent in. So if you send one in, there's a really good chance that it's going to show up on the air at some point. So, quick recommendation. Write out what you think you're gonna say, time yourself, make sure it's about 90 seconds or so. One to two minutes is sort of like the perfect amount of time. 90 seconds is the sweet spot. If you're not at around 90 seconds, edit, figure out how to get it at 90 seconds before you call in. Uh, What you don't wanna do is ramble on for too long. So that's what I'm doing right now. And for that reason, We're going to send it over to the live meetup audio. Thanks for everyone that came out. I know almost all the people that showed up do listen to the podcast. And it was awesome to meet each one of you. I really appreciate it. I was going to talk a little bit about... Just like growing a site, getting more traffic and stuff like that. So for some people, it could be a little bit of a review, things that I've talked about before. But there are three main areas that I encourage people to check out, and that would be uh, adding more content to your site. KGR, Keyword Golden Ratio, uh, that's a really good place to start. Also, you can improve existing content, which there's a few ways to approach it. You can outsource it, very expensive, or I'll mention a couple like better ways to do it. Um, And then getting links and that's something that I I think most people neglect Um, It sucks to try and get links out there You're gonna get rejected most of the time. It's kind of confusing. It's hard to tell if it's working, but um, I mean I'm guilty of this too. Just I mean it does suck to get to ask for those links and um, so back to the beginning if your site maybe doesn't have a ton of content yet, or maybe you haven't started your site yet, just publishing more KGR, low competition stuff is gonna be a good way to go. Has anyone like published like a lot of KGR content and it worked out well? There? Anyone? Okay. So you're not gonna hit a home run usually. Every now and then you'll get lucky, get more traffic than you expect. But um, a lot of times if you publish in mass, like how many did you publish, Esther? 115, okay, so like, if you can just get one or two visitors a day to each one of those, which may be a tall order, but um, that's obviously a couple hundred people going to your site. Uh, One or two are probably gonna be a home run. Like uh, Josh, did you have any that turned out really well? Okay, like way more than you expected, right? So if you already have quite a bit of content, you may want to add to your existing content and improve it. And one of those approaches that I really like, it's kind of boring. You have to pull reports from the search console. And I think maybe if you've been doing this for a little while, like you, you understand how to pull the reports, but it's difficult to separate the the signal from the noise because there's like thousands of lines. And one way that I like to do it is to pull a CSV for a specific URL that I'm like, hey, maybe, maybe this one looks good. I'm getting some traffic. So you pull a report for that URL for the uh, queries, and then uh, you can get the position, the number of impressions, and then you have somewhere to start. You still may end up with like hundreds or thousands of keywords, so it's hard to figure out what to, to go for there. Has anyone tried to pull such a report, by the way? Just curious, so you know. So for anyone that didn't hear, basically, Esther was saying, if, if you uh, check out some of those reports, then you'll find like keywords you're pulling in traffic for or impressions that you didn't even know was happening. And the cool part is like it's proprietary data for you. No one else can get your Search Console data. Anyone can go to like Ahrefs or uh, SEMrush and you get that your competitor analysis, but th- that data is just yours from the Search Console. So um, a good way to filter it is like Find something with a high number of impressions relatively speaking for your report and then uh, maybe the number of clicks and if you Identify some some good ones then you can add a section Like uh, some h2 h3 tags a couple hundred words. So now you're actually trying to target that. So that's a good way to approach it and um, Quickly, we'll just mention the the link building stuff so it's either super expensive to do. Like if you hire folks, which I've been testing out a couple companies, they generally do a good job. It's very expensive. So when I've brought it back in house, I'm doing it uh, myself with a couple of VAs I'm working with. It's like eight to 12 times cheaper. It's like ridiculous. And if you have a system in place, it's still pretty fast. Actually, it's just as fast as working with a company. And it's just so much cheaper. So. It's hard. It's hard to like encourage, or it's hard for me to get people to believe to like build those links, and they really pay off. Because it takes like months potentially for those to pay off, and you don't know if like maybe your rankings go down. Like in November eighth, like uh, people, some people got hit, which maybe we'll talk about that in the Q and A in a second, but you don't you don't really know like what's helping or what's hurting because there's like a million factors going on at the same time. So anyway, those are three big areas. Uh, you know, don't try and focus on all of them at the same time. Maybe just pick one for a little while, work on it for a month or six weeks and then move on to the next and hopefully you'll get better at it. So, all right. So the question is um, once people start making some money what should they do long-term? Is that pretty much it? I don't know. (laughs) Uh, You have to figure that one out on your own, but most likely you gravitate towards like, hey, I like doing a lot more content. Some people love link building. Um, Like Ron Stefanski, who's been on the show a couple times, he really enjoys link building. And he went through a phase where he like built a ton of links and then he got a little bored with it and he's focusing on a couple other areas. So um, you kind of have to figure out I think like where you're getting traction and then like go towards that. Cause, and there's other stuff you're going to enjoy better as well. So you're ranking for a term already. And then what do you do to improve upon that? Right? So you can add some more content. So maybe that's uh, redundant there, but add more content around that topic where you maybe have a gap so do a gap analysis on your competitors find out what's missing make it better fill in the gaps blah 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 faqs are really good to add as well and you can again put those as subheadings just to make it like very clear that you're adding content about that just Brainstorming, going outside, maybe you create some uh, images, some sort of, not an infographic exactly, but an image that could be helpful. And then you have like more valuable information around that. Thinking about more on-site stuff, you can add some internal links that are sort of optimized via anchor text for the term that you're trying to rank for. So that would be helpful. And then off-site as well. So if you can get some links to that page, potentially with a partial match anchor text, I'll just try and answer your question. So Josh, You were gonna ask about link building and stuff, right? So I think on average I've been paying like 50 to 60 bucks per like link placement or guest post. And when I was using a company or or when I have used a company, it's like as cheap as 200, but those are not great. Um, And usually it's more like four to 600, something like that. So whatever the math works out. Basically, they're charging to have a link on their site. So I have been I try and test stuff out before I uh, start talking about it much. So I've been doing this for a few months. I've tested it a couple years ago as well. And at this point, the supply and demand for like guest posts, like everyone's sending out like a ton of emails. I get a lot of them just for my site. So a lot of people realize that they could charge and they have an asset that they can make money on. So they're asking for fees. Where am I linking to? So I'm linking to like 50% to the homepage, 50% to inner pages based on like what I'm trying to rank for. The anchor text is usually, uh, for the homepage, it's branded anchor text, so niche site project or something like that. For inner pages, sometimes it is still branded anchor text because that's a safe way to do it. Sometimes it's like a partial match for the keyword, so Sometimes it's an exact match, but not, I don't try not to do too much of that. So it's not like an SEO is building links. It's like kind of more natural. So uh, Guest posts and like more like link placements, they call it niche edits or something, which I think is a dumb name, by the way. Any, anyone else think that's a dumb name? It's, yeah, because I had to look it up and I'm like, yeah, they're trying to be cute, but it's not as catchy. You got to put golden ratio in there or something like that. That's catchy. People remember it. Yeah, so it's more like the the niche edits, which seems to work fine. Like, Like I said before, it's hard to tell when you're building links. There's like 10 other things you're doing, too. So it's really hard to tell, like, is this helping directly? And I'm not running experiments and I'm not trying to control it specifically. So my pitches are short. It's like two sentences. Basically, since it's transactional, like you can get the link super quick and Let's say I'm doing a guest post and I'm trying to like be valuable, provide valuable information and all that. Like they have to format it and do some other stuff. And it's like, it's gonna take longer and it's like more work than just putting in like two sentences. Yeah, because it's transactional, it's just like very clear. We're not beating around the bush. And then if they're interested, they'll go for it. If not, then I won't bother them anymore. So, and then the super key thing, and then we'll let some other people ask questions, is um, don't tell anyone this, all right? I haven't talked about it yet it's very dumb right it's super simple but basically if you can get one or two of these placed uh, after you have the successful transaction don't tell anyone about this just ask them hey do you have any blogger friends that maybe would be interested in working with me too then you have a warm introduction so the the success rate is like 80 percent or something like that and then every now and then someone's going to hook you up with a list of like 10 people and um you know usually they hang out together they're in a facebook group blah 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 at some point people started contacting me so i like they just knew that i was out there so they were contacting me like hey we want to work with you too and you got to watch out right if they're doing that for everybody you don't want to hop on a site that's like been abused or whatever but yeah just ask for a referral and then you have a warm intro so they're like way more likely to uh like work with you then So is it better to like kind of really focus on a niche, be specific or like go a couple levels up? Basically a couple levels up probably. So if you look at the departments in Amazon, like that's kind of where you want to aim. So like outdoor, fitness, home appliances or whatever, you should however, focus on like individual products early on so that you can like rank for those and you're not trying to like do too much. That's Easy to do, right? You're like, oh, I'm gonna, you know, my first 20 pieces of content, why don't I cover like 15 different products? Don't do that, just cover like two. Then you can start ranking for those and then sort of like branch out after you get some traction. But if you spread yourself too thin on like the topic, then you'll probably end up like having a harder time ranking. The question is exact match domain or generalize the domain name. So you should make it like brandable. So generalize. If you do an EMD, you're kind of roping yourself in, painting yourself in a corner for expansion. So you're just kind of stuck. So don't do that. How do you know if your niche is good? How do you know if your site's good? So this part won't be helpful, but maybe we can go back and forth. So you'll know it's successful because you have traffic and you're making money. But I think you actually want something more helpful than that, right? (laughs) You won't know until after. So you gotta do something and then you can adjust. So the good part is you can adjust. So if it's not quite working, usually you can tweak some things. You can hire me for coaching, for example, and then I can tell you. Or you can get a friend, you know, maybe you meet somebody here and you're like, hey, Josh, you look like you're smart. Can you have a look at this? Something like that, just for example. Yeah, so you you really don't know until you get started and then after that you can adjust. So the question is like whether it's a good idea to use guest posts on your own site and like link back and help another brand out or whatever. And Evan said, a good brand that has like legit writers and good content. They, they want to like get links and work with them. So I think it's fine because I mean, I look at, I try and give like real examples. You have like Niche Site Project and I have a few guest posts. I've had you and Marty write for me some, right? That's no big deal. It's kind of a normal thing that you see out there. It is an internet marketing blog. So some people are like, can you give like real examples? And I can't think of any like right off the top of my head, but like as writers, right? You're used to be a writer, right? I guess you're still a writer. So technically, like it's pretty normal for people to contribute and work with other brands for various reasons. So... I think it's normal and it should be fine. And if they're good at writing content, then there's no harm. And you you can actually like give them keywords that you know are going to rank. Yeah, yeah. And it could be a way, I haven't done this yet, but I've thought about just because I get a bunch of pitches and I'm like, yeah, why don't I charge $300? And then like not many people would go for it. But if I just get a couple of those per month, that's another $600 for like almost no work. So that's pretty good. I'd do that. Do i have any concerns about buying links which is technically gray hat so whatever i just was talking about like doing the niche edits it would be considered gray hat but like it's essentially like impossible to prove right technically if you're doing anything and you're trying to get links to help your rankings google doesn't like it so it's like kind of unprovable so it's okay so long term i wouldn't have too many concerns as long as it's like a small percentage of the overall links. So the logic behind that is if I ran into trouble, let's say I I paid to build links to niche site project and I'll just make up numbers. I don't know exactly. Let's say I have 500 referring domains pointing to my site. Maybe I could go up to like a hundred additional referring domains pointing to my site, knowing that like if I got penalized, I could disavow those hundred and it's only what is that? 18% or something like that. So I can get rid of 18%. It wouldn't be great necessarily to lose those links, but it's not like um, like unrecoverable. So so keep it to a low percentage. And I think I mean some people some people would argue like having like some other link building, like doing gray hat or stuff that's like PBNs would be okay if it's a low percentage, which is hard to argue against it as long as you have like a way that you can recover if you ran into an issue, because it's not 100% guaranteed that you're going to get a penalty or something. Um, even if you're not doing anything wrong, you can still have issues. So, yeah, that is the trouble with the like recent updates. Is like no one really knows what to do. There's like some things that could be helpful, but I don't know anyone who's like done those things and then like everything was fine. Uh, one person who was on the show, Linus, if people are, uh, if you remember him, he was like in high school when uh, I interviewed him first. Now he's in college. I haven't published his latest interview, but like he had a site that got hit in November. Or sorry, he got hit in the end of September, right? Tra- yeah, traffic dropped, right? Then in November, it went up, but he didn't know there was an update. So I was like, hey, like what's going on? Like what happened? And he was like, oh, I think it's cause I made those changes. And I was like, was it November 8th the 9th? And he said, yes. And I was like, it, it was nothing that you did. It was just, you just got, you got lucky. <laughs> and uh, I have seen like, so, like you said, sites get hit and then they recover a couple months later, no action taken. Yeah, there's no telling. And then I was thinking about what you mentioned, you know, you got two sites and you were you're trying to do too much. So you figured out like you're just gonna focus on one, right? Well, I think without knowing any other details, probably the one that's that is making money, just ignore the other one for like I would say a year, but every quarter, just like reevaluate, like, okay, do I still feel good? Is this other site still reacting well? And then it'll like lift the weight off and you're like, okay. It's gonna be fine. I could ignore this one. You could always come back to it when you want to. You built them from scratch? No. You bought them? Yes. Okay. So potentially, like, you have a site that you could come back to, um, or you could sell it, right? Um, it'll be an age site. So, but probably just hang on to it. I, I reached that point where I had like five or six sites, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna do a little bit here and there, and it was making very little progress. And then just decided I'm going to actually just ignore these and um, it's been years and now I have very old age sites. (laughs) So at some point I can mess with them again, but I I really haven't. So yeah, you could always go back to it. All right. Well, it was a good live Q&A. Hopefully I can edit this. There's not too much music behind it. It does look like I hit record, so that's good. So all right. Thanks, everybody. Maybe the audio wasn't as clean as I thought. It's funny, I listened to it a few minutes ago without headphones. So, just like out of the laptop speakers, and I was like, hey, that's pretty damn good. I can't believe how good it sounds. And then when I put on like the studio headphones that are much better, I can hear a lot of the noise in there but it lets you know that it was truly live and i i think my editor did a great job as far as editing out like the pauses and the questions and stuff like that one thing i tried to do and um people out there you may you may observe this a lot of times if people take like live questions and they don't repeat the question into the microphone No one else knows what the person asked. So it's like the five or 10 people right around the person and no one else in the auditorium can hear the question. So I tried it very hard to repeat the question, to rephrase the question in a way that was more general. Sometimes, sometimes I just wanted to repeat it so everyone knew. Plus, I knew that I was potentially going to use the audio and video, so I wanted to make sure if the you know pauses were edited out, where or it sounds like a pause, but the person was asking a question. Anyway, so I think my editor did a great job, so shout out to her for cleaning it up for me, and hopefully um, it turned out well. Actually, shoot me an email, feedback at doug.show, if um, you enjoy this kind of episode, I am most likely going to be doing a meetup in the boulder colorado area this quarter i'll I'll make it easy for myself and just say like in the quarter i'll probably do some sort of meetup and i've teased this a couple times because i do have access to a very nice co-working space where i can schedule it on a weekend there's like beer and plenty of space if the weather's nice we can go outside if it's not as great, if it's windy or or cool or something like that, there's plenty of space inside as well. And, you know, it's a, it's a great space where I I can just use it. I could just reserve it on the calendar and I don't have to do any kind of crazy other sort of like, uh, basically paying extra. I know some of the other co working spaces that I've seen, you have to like reserve the place and it costs a huge amount of money, but I'm working at, uh, MMMHQ, that is Mr. Money Mustache HQ over in the Longmont area. And um, a lot of people are my kind of speed. I don't go into the co-working space as often as I want to, because a lot of times it's just easier to stay home, even though it's super close. (laughs) So I I need to just like get into a specific routine where I go in every, whatever, Thursday afternoon or Friday morning or something like that. But um, you probably realize with my sort of spontaneous trip, my schedule has been all out of whack. It was kind of, uh, it kind of flipped my schedule upside down. I got some work done um, as far as like keeping up with email and making sure that when I came back to work, I didn't have a huge pile of like just emails to catch up on and things that I didn't follow up on. So I did a little bit of work. I said I took like the whole month off, but I probably did a few hours of work per week maybe three or so, but I was staying at my, my parents' house. So my childhood home and walking around the neighborhood and just kind of taking it easy for a good chunk of the time. And then I was also able to stay at my sister's house, my sister and brother-in-law's house. And um, they have like a couple teenage daughters. So we played like some board games and hung out. It was actually pretty fun it was pretty fun overall and i haven't been able to like spend as much time with them for a while so it was great to just like live in the house for whatever four days or so but um at that point you get to hang out spend a lot more time together and funny sort of uh like realization the my my niece's they haven't seen a lot of what I would consider classic Christmas movies. So we actually watched as a family die hard, which was, um, you know, a great, great movie. I think it came out in like 89 ish, somewhere around in there. But I think there were like, you know, three others made. And as I was chatting with my nieces, I was like, "Yeah, oh, what about uh, national lampoons Christmas vacation, which that is such a classic movie they have not seen it. I was absolutely amazed. And I let my sister and brother-in-law know that I was disappointed that they didn't raise their kids. Right. As far as I'm concerned, I don't have kids, but, um, and if you're just judging purely on the Christmas movies that a child has seen or not seen, and that's how you judge a parent, then yes, they failed as parents, but they also haven't seen a Christmas story. They have seen elf. So that was good. But I think, uh, like, A Christmas Story and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation are just classic movies. I mean, I watch them like every every Christmas season and sometimes not even during Christmas. Sometimes it would be like Christmas in July and I would watch those movies. So anyway, we watched Die Hard and it was cool to hang out with the family. And um, my other sister and her family they they live in another state, and they were also in the Georgia area, in the Atlanta area, visiting family as well. So we all got to hang out. It was very cool. And I can't remember if I mentioned it in another episode, but uh, my siblings we used to give each other gifts, and the in not the in laws, but our uh, yeah our brother in law and sister in law and whatever. We used to all exchange gifts around the holidays, but. We all have stuff. We have all the stuff we need. If we want a thing, we usually, um, we usually get the thing that we want to get. So we're, we're spoiled and fortunate and all that kind of stuff. So we decided a few years back to have experience gifts. So if we're in the same area, which isn't, you know, that doesn't happen every year, but I think three or four times we've done these experiences. So the first year we we went bowling. I think we went to a Dave and Buster's and um, played some games, bowled, hung out, had some drinks, and it was great. We all had a, a very good time, and we got to hang out instead of just like giving each other a gift or exchanging gift cards, which is kind of lame. Um, another year, laser tag, which was so much fun. It was so much fun. We don't, no one is a laser tag like enthusiast. We haven't played laser tag or anything like that in many, many years. And then we went and it was so much fun. I think we played a couple rounds and the funny part was these teenage kids just beat our asses. I mean, they were so good. I think they probably go there, um, a lot. So they had some skills. They knew the layout of the place and they just, they crushed us, but it was super fun. I remember, um, just running around and hiding and like teaming up and like trying to figure out how to do better. And basically I was so sweaty. Like I don't think the like ventilation was super great in there. So I I was just so sweaty. Like my clothes were wet. There was sweat dripping down my face. Other people got warm, but I am a sweater. So um, anyway, laser tag, super fun. I would totally do that again. And then this year we did uh, an escape room. So I think of the six people, uh, four of us have done escape rooms before, just once or twice each. And then um, a couple had not done an escape room at all, but it was pretty fun. I can't remember the finishing time. I, th- I want to say we finished in like, you know, 44 or 45 minutes out of 50 total. And in the particular escape room, Uh, company that we, that we went to. So the first, like the room that I booked um, a couple people have actually, they they already did it. So they didn't remember it right off, but as they were looking at clues, they were like, Oh yeah, we've done this one before. So I think it was the same parent company or something like that. And it was in a completely different state as well. So anyway, they, I, I got out of there after like two or three minutes, I like rung the ring the bell. And then I asked like, Hey, can we switch it up? Can you put us in another one? Like a couple of people have already done it. They were super cool. And they were like, sure. So we went into a different one, which was actually a little better. Um, there was a little more room in there. It was for more people, right? So we booked a room for six. And I think the one we ended up doing was for 10. So I think, yeah, there's just a little more space in there. Maybe the puzzles are a little bit more complicated or something. I'm not sure. Anyway, We finished the initial uh, puzzle and then there's like an advanced like step two. We did get one hint at the end there for the advanced uh, version. But anyway, it was a great time. I highly encourage folks to do experience gifts, especially if you're at a spot where like you're just exchanging gift cards. Um, I think exchanging gift cards gets old. It's like, let's just trade each other a hundred bucks or whatever your your gift exchange deal is but um yeah i think just hanging out spending time together that's the way to do it that's the way to do it all right so i've rambled on enough here and let's hear the question from amin
1: hi dog hi dog uh it's amin from uh, morocco i hope that you are doing very well so right now as i'm um, recording this you are at your uh, 101 episode from the podcast, and I listened uh, to to everything, and I'm grateful for um, for the shift in my mindset that uh, this podcast has uh, uh, has done to me. So thank you very much. What's my question? I have one hobby site which is one year old. It makes one thousand dollar per month, and uh, it has it it brings one thousand page views a day. Uh, it is monetized uh, by Amazon and uh, by ads display. So uh, my question is: I want really to start an email list on this site, but uh, I don't really know what's the right approach for using an email list for uh, for such a site, and uh, how uh, I uh, I uh, I need to approach that to get the most out of that. So uh, thank you very much and uh, have a nice day.
0: Thanks a lot to Amin for all the ongoing support and for the questions. I am trying to get an update from Amin. I'm not sure if I'll get it in time, but I'll give you an update later, basically on what his monthly earnings are these days. I know he's been around for a couple years. I think he's making several hundred dollars per month and I do Remember now he's from Morocco because he said it in the voicemail. So he's from Morocco and he's doing a great job. Whoa, whoa, hold up. So this is Doug breaking in as I'm editing this, and I listened to Amin's voicemail again a little more closely, and he said he's making about a thousand dollars per month and he has a thousand visitors per day. So I sent him an email, which uh, Amin, you'll you'll laugh uh because you actually told me the information that I emailed you for. So, um, you know, you could ignore that and we'll resume back to what I was talking about before. And I will answer means question. He's put the time in. He's learned a lot, all that stuff. He's getting something like a thousand visitors a day. And he probably recalls that I often tell people, don't even worry about an email list until you're making or until you have hundreds of visitors per day maybe even a thousand visitors per day. That's kind of an arbitrary point. It's far enough that it allows a person to start a site and not worry about an email list. So number one, I suggest you find an email service provider. I use Aweber personally, and I'm an affiliate for them. They do a great job. They have excellent customer service, but any of them are fine. It's basically, it's like web hosting. Almost any decent company that's like well-known that has uh, a proven track record, they're going to be just fine. They basically have almost all the same functionality. They charge roughly the same price. It really doesn't matter which one you sign up for. A couple of them are going to claim that they have like better funnel design or landing pages or some other little feature. I think at this point, almost all of the companies have similar offerings. So even if you think one of the companies has like some extra stuff, it's probably comparable with all the other companies. So that that's my take. And I've shopped around. I've used multiple companies. Um, there was a point in time when AWeber, while I was using them, They were a little bit behind, but they've modernized their system. You can do like A-B testing for subject lines. You can tag, you can do campaigns, you can do follow-up series, like an autoresponder and all that stuff. So, I mean, I suggest that you find a company that you're like, Hey, I want to work with them. Almost all of the companies have tons and tons of free training on how to build an email list. And they want you to figure out how to build an email list because you will use their service. It doesn't really matter which you know company you pick. All of them have really good training. They tell you how to entice people to sign up for your list, which usually that's in the form of like a lead magnet, a content upgrade. There's a lot of different terms for it, but basically you're enticing someone to sign up for your email list by giving them something useful, something helpful. One of the big tips that I'll give you is don't make it too complicated don't make it hard to consume so some people may think hey i'm going to i'm going to put a full ebook out there for free i want it to be so high value blah 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 i challenge you to think about all the free pdfs that you have that you've never read any of it because it takes a while to read something And if you're thinking, hey, what about videos? Well, those can take a little while too, especially if you're trying to like add a whole lot of value. So one of the best lead magnets or content upgrades that you can offer is a one-page like reference guide, a list of resources. Something that's one page is something that a person can get value from very quickly. They will sign up for your email list. They can download it. They can skim it. They can read it. They can get value from it right away. That's what you want. You don't want someone to get so much information that they can't even really consume it in a reasonable amount of time. So shorter is better. If you're going going to do some kind of video or something like that, which I don't recommend unless you're a video specialist in some way, then again, make it short, make a bite size. You, I don't really recommend that you do like a five-part video series or anything like that. I know you may have seen other people do that sort of thing, but if you're just getting started, keep it as simple as possible up front. One thing that probably won't work at all is if you just put a sign-up form, hey, sign up for the email list for free updates. Probably not going to work. No one wants to get more emails, (laughs) all right? So no one wants to get more emails in general. So you kind of need to have that lead magnet, something a little bit more enticing. I personally use a company called, um, uh, what is it called? Optin Monster. So that's like my pop-up management software. And I try and keep it uh, not too intrusive. I don't want someone to land on the page, they're reading information and then a pop-up shows up immediately or anything like that or anything where it interrupts them. So I'm a little like more conservative with it. Um, Some people have the big welcome mats and there's a lot of ways that you can like force more people to sign up for your email list by being in their face, but that's not really my style in general. And I don't even do it on niche site project. There's a couple little pop-ups that may still be lingering around, but basically I've back down on that. And I want people to just like find the answer to what they're looking for. And then if they they want to sign up because I'm offering them a template or some sort of resource, then that's great. That's the person I want. I want people that are looking to sign up. They've taken some action. They've maybe gone out of their way just a little bit so that they're interested in getting emails from me. Yes, I maybe could have a little bit more of like growth. I can get more people to sign up, but the leads may not be as good. Now, one other thing that I'll mention, because this could be a series of podcast episodes. So I'll put that in my hat for later. Building an email list is, is pretty fun. You have to do the copywriting for the sign-up form. You have to figure out a lead magnet or content upgrade. And a content upgrade is just, a way to provide more value to the content. So for example, on Niche Site Project, I have information about the keyword golden ratio and to upgrade that content, I have a free calculator for the keyword golden ratio that you get access to if you sign up for the email list. So it makes the content that the person is consuming even better, thus upgrading it. So that's one of the best ways to get people to sign up because they're already interested in that information. So if you can make it more valuable by giving them a resource, a tool, more information, whatever, that's a great way to get people to sign up. So before I go on, (laughs) I will say that for a niche site, I don't think it's really, really worthwhile unless you have additional affiliate offers that matches your audience that pays more than the normal Amazon commission rates. So I've built some substantial email list in various niches. It works out great for products that have a high payout as far as a commission rate. We're talking, you know, 25, 50, 75%. So if there's a high commission rate paid, that's great. And it also helps if it's a more expensive product if you are only relying on amazon affiliate commissions and sales and basically driving people to a page that has amazon reviews and that sort of thing it will be very difficult for you to make a substantial amount of money if you grow a very big email list which is totally possible by the way i mean if you have if you have tens of thousands of visitors going to your site per month, you have hundreds of thousands or up to a million or something like that, there's a good chance um, just through the sheer volume of people that you can get to sign up for your email list, you might be able to make good money just on Amazon commissions or through display ads. However, a lot of times it's not really going to pan out. It doesn't mean you shouldn't do it because you can learn the skills of building an email list. You have to do copywriting, you can test subject lines. There's a lot of really cool and fun stuff. I love email marketing. Super, super interesting to me. A lot of different skills that you have to put together and match things up. There's also technical challenges as far as implementing like pop-ups and making sure that you're not killing your like your load speed because a lot of times pop-ups and other scripts and that sort of thing there's just a lot of garbage that's loaded at the same time so i've struggled quite a bit with you know keeping my site loading fast while also like being able to display pop-ups so it's a bit of a battle right there's always a trade-off so overall i mean i would say if you have some offers that you're thinking hey these are going to work out pretty well then and they are higher commission rates, higher prices, all that stuff. Then maybe you can get into it. Um you could use AWeber. I I'm super happy with AWeber. Um I've used uh, GetResponse and I think one or two other services just to test them, but I've stuck with AWeber just because I'm used to the interface. They've modernized their system and their customer service is super awesome. You can get a hold of someone 24 hours a day over weekends. Um, I'm not sure about holidays, but they've, they've upgraded like their coverage. So you basically can go to a Weber, log into your account, start chatting with someone that could actually like look at your account, help you out and do, um, whatever you need to do. So you can use any company. Um, again, they all have free training. They usually have webinars you can get so much great information from them that it almost doesn't make sense to like sign up for another course elsewhere on email marketing, because those companies have a huge incentive in training people well. And once you're on an email um, service, like it you're pretty sticky, right? I signed up for Aweber at the very beginning and I didn't leave them because <laughs> unraveling All of the mess of uh, like moving and migrating to another company is terrible. Like just thinking about all the mistakes that can be made is very scary. It's super scary. I have heard of people like moving to a different service to maybe improve deliverability and stuff like that. But in my opinion, there's other ways around it. And to be fair, I have not run into any issues with deliverability um at this point in time i keep my list very clean um i prune it you know every two months or so and if you're not active on my list i don't try and re-engage you i just delete you so that that's my own decision i know one of the training things that you may be able to find or uh, see people talk about is like oh here's the re-engagement series and you can get people reinvigorated and interested in your brand. And you know what, if they've lost interest, I'm not going to go beg them to come back. I'm not going to try and, you know, send them a a really like catchy subject line to rope them back in. If they're interested in other stuff, that's okay. It didn't work out. (laughs) They checked out my stuff. They didn't like it for some reason. They're interested in other shit. That's totally cool. So Basically, I prune my list and I delete people if they haven't opened an email in like 90 days or 60 days. I can't remember what I do, but I keep it pretty lean and my deliverability is quite good. My open rates are usually um, the high 20s to 30. And a lot of times the click rate is anywhere from like four to six or 7%, which is pretty high for an internet marketing blog where, you know, teaching people how to make money online which gets funny sometimes it's kind of a weird industry overall so anyway please uh, let me know if you have questions about email marketing like I said I love the topic and I, I could do probably three or four episodes maybe have some guests on if people do want to hear about it so shoot me an email feedback at doug.show and we'll wrap it up for today everyone have a great wonderful weekend or weekday, or whenever you're listening to it. We'll catch you on the next episode.